Welcome to Massive Damage Adventures, a one-shot, actual-play, role-playing game podcast. My name is Merrick Moyer. I'm the Dungeon Master, Storyteller, Lore Master, and All-Around Host. Every month, I run a one-shot using a different system, pulling in a different cast of players. All intellectual properties, including game materials, setting material, music, and whatever else, are used without permission. None of them are ours. We're just using them to enhance our gameplay. But an extra special thank you to Hayden Lister for letting us use his song Rediscovery as our intro. Check out more of his music at ReverbNation.com slash Hayden Lister. H-A-Y-D-E-N-L-I-S-T-E-R. Also, please rate and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at SkyhammerK and on Instagram at SkyhammerPress. If you want to run your own games and need a few ideas, check out our social media Roll D4 Adventure prompts. And if you pledge a dollar a month at patreon.com slash skyhammerpress, you get four full adventure seeds on every Roll D4 adventure. This episode has been sponsored by Roll20. If you need a virtual tabletop, go to roll20.net to sign up for a free account and get playing. With a marketplace for tokens, maps, and adventures, there's always something to add to your game. Plus, if you pay for a subscription, you'll unlock premium features like dynamic lighting, more storage space, customizable character sheets, and special animated effects. Today, I'm speaking with Jim Johnson of Modifius Entertainment, an author and the project manager for the Star Trek Adventures game line. Jim, thank you for coming to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you very much for coming out to our first uh, Shadows and Starlight um twitch stream commenting in the chat being active that was really really awesome oh it's my pleasure i i don't get an opportunity as much as i would like to go onto the onto twitch into the different streams and just watch people enjoy the game and play the game so i was just glad that it worked out in my schedule that i was able to join you and just to listen in and and uh, watch how much fun you guys are having so really appreciate the opportunity oh i it's my pleasure. I saw your name in there and I was like, wait a second, hang on. And then uh, went and double checked, you know, the book and on Twitter. And I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, I, I try um, not. I don't, I don't try to make a big deal out of it, but uh, it's just, uh, it, it's so, um, I, I've said this before, I'm sure, but uh, it, it's just so rewarding to see what people do with the game and all the content out there. And it's just, you know, it's just fun. To, it's just fun to sit and watch and listen and, uh, and uh, and get excited all over again and remember that uh, all that hard work that we put into these books actually has an audience and and you're actually doing something with it it's not we're not just throwing it out into the world and we never hear about it again right it's 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 actually something's happening with it and that's just really cool so it's it, it keeps me going for sure um because some of the some of the days get really long and uh, it's just nice to know that the work is being appreciated by so many people and and not just appreciated but because this is a game right it's it's great to know that it's being played uh, by so many people so thanks thanks for the opportunity it was just so much fun to listen to you all um do some really cool stuff with it <laughs> do you have any suggestions of uh or thoughts on um our particular stream like did we did we flub any rules that i should know about uh, nope, nope. You did it exactly. <laughs> I mean, the the whole intent of the game ultimately is it's a big, massive toolkit 
for game masters and players to go make their own awesome Star Trek adventures, and that's exactly what you all were doing. And so I would say don't change a single thing unless you're doing something that's getting in the way of all of you having a good time. So um, I, I am like I have been very careful over the last five years to to never tell anybody on a stream that they're playing it wrong or that they're doing it wrong because <laughs> who, who am I? Like I'm not I'm not in the game. I'm just an audience. So. Uh, um, I'm just, uh, I'm there to have a good time and, and you were all there to have a good time and, uh, no, just do what works for you and, uh, and go forth. So, uh, that, that's my only advice. Oh, good. And I mean, I really enjoy the Star Trek adventures, uh, rule set. I feel like mm -hmm. it's, it's very flexible. Like you said, it's, it supports the story that you want to tell. And I mm -hmm. like the use of, of values and traits, uh, getting that sort of narrative feel into your games. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, I'll take off my project manager hat for a second and just as a Star Trek gamer, I mean, I've been playing Star Trek in one form or another forever, like even before the facet days, right? Back in the back in the 80s. And um, there was a, a long period of time when my game group and I really just kind of played homebrew Star Trek games because there just there either wasn't a Star Trek game out or there wasn't one that did quite what we wanted it to do. Like we played Last Unicorn games and we liked it. And we played Decipher and we liked it, but there were just pieces of it that we used and then a lot of it we just never used because we were really more focused on the narrative and the storytelling and the characters. And like there were there were whole sessions that we would never even touch the dice or even have a combat, right? We were just into the whole role-playing aspect of it and the really deep um, storytelling and the challenges and like um, the moral dilemmas and stuff. And, and that's what really drew us into Star Trek Adventures when I first, you know, got involved with it as a writer and a and a playtester, I was like, "Wow, these values are awesome," because that that really gets to the heart of of what the characters are. You know, what, what makes the Star Trek characters interesting is what do they believe in, and then as a writer, you know, and a game master, like, "Oh, how do I challenge those values? Right? How do I make these characters force, you know, get forced into changing? Um, either they're either they're cementing their values or they're or they're being challenged by them." So. Um, you know, I, I love the game. I think Nathan Dowdell, who designed it, um, did a fantastic job of bringing all that Star Trek stuff that we see on the screen and translating it into something that we can put on the table. And um, like, I mean, I, I feel like that's how, how it is with my games. Um, but I think the the real testament to it is is seeing how many people around the world are playing it, like on on YouTube and Twitch and all the different channels that are out there, and just reading everybody's stories. Like, that's one of the rewarding parts of the job for me is that. I get to read because I'm on social media way more than I need to be <laughs> for this game. <laughs> As we, I, many of us are. Yeah. And I read so many stories about people playing Star Trek adventures and like, Oh, they're doing this and they're doing this. And Oh, my character did this. And there's just so much out there. And uh, I, again, like I said, at the top of it, it's so rewarding to see what people are doing with the game and, uh, and creating their own Star Trek stories. I mean, that's just a, it's, it's, it's a joy to, to, to see that happen. So um, yeah, it's mm. good stuff. So before we get into like project management and, and what you do with Star Trek Adventures, I wanted to know a little bit more, which we heard a bit here, a little bit more about your relationships as, to Star Trek as a fan. Like, where did you start? What's, what's your favorite like bits of Trek? Uh, so how I got started, I mean, I was a, I was a kid in the 70s and uh, I remember watching the original series on reruns. And I had a I had a little teeny tiny portable TV screen or t you know, a little portable TV that had like a I don't know like a seven inch screen on it and it was black and white and it had the the crappy aerial that you had to unfold and like I mean it was it was almost like the old uh, 
the thing about you know you put tinfoil on it to get better reception. And like I remember trying to you know wave it around, trying to get the best possible reception on whatever station was playing. And I, I'd watch some reruns on that. Um, I think it was in I might have been in New York or maybe yeah I think it was in New York when I was living at the time, just trying to get anything on on the TV. Just watching uh, Star Trek reruns and just seeing you know the um, the diversity of the characters that were on the show. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't all guys, it wasn't all women. It was it wasn't all like white guys doing stuff. It was a huge mix of the characters. And uh, you know, being a very impressionable six and seven, eight year old, I was like, okay, this is this is cool. Like this, this is this re- matched what I was seeing in school because I'm from a military family, and so um, you know, my 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 uh, elementary school was very diver- very diverse, right? So in my brain, that was like this is this is the norm, right? Diversity is normal, and the, I'm seeing this TV show where diversity is normal, and I think that really shaped my life in a lot of ways to to like you know not feel that you know life was one way or another way it was it was the the best aspects of life could, could be more diverse and like you need the diversity of thought and people and gender and everything else um so i've been a star trek fan all my life um um really from the very beginning and uh, it wasn't until you know a little bit later as i started to become a um a writer and got more into the writing bug and started submitting stories um i got a couple short stories published with uh with Star Trek, actually, those were, those were my first professional credits. Was when uh, Simon and Schuster ran a, a short story contest called Strange New Worlds. Uh, they ran that for ten years, and um, it was open to literally everybody who could write a short story and then submit it. You know, following the professional guidelines, and uh, I managed to sell three stories to them um, over you know over successive um, years in the in the contest, and uh, that really kind of ex- gave me the opportunity to. Uh, to meet a lot of other Star Trek writers at different conventions, um, especially the uh, Shoreleaf Convention mm-hmm. in uh, in Maryland, and and just by you know getting to know more people and, and networking and stuff, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there and into finding other opportunities. So uh, yeah, Star Trek has just been a huge, huge part of my life, and uh, I just kind of stumbled into this role with uh, Modiphius, um again, partly through professional writing circles, but also because I did some uh, freelance. Um, uh, writing in the in the RPG industry back in the back in the day when Decipher had the um, the Lord of the Rings license, uh, myself and uh, another writer Jason Dural uh, worked together on Lord of the Rings. We we were both uh, playtest coordinators and freelance writers. And then uh, after that game ended, um, he continued to do a lot of stuff in the industry, and I dabbled here and there. I, I I'm really kind of picky about the licenses that I like to work on. Like I love R- I love RPGs, but it was really hard for me to like work on everything because I don't have a depth of knowledge about every single game out there. Like Jason knows a lot of different games, which is awesome for, for him. Cause it was easy for him to find a lot of work. Um, but like star, for me, it was like star Wars, star Trek, Lord of the Rings, and maybe one or two other properties I knew really well enough and was passionate enough about that. I would want to you know go work for, uh, cause there was a period of time there where I was like, I was hunting for work uh, for that. I could find with anybody it was like it's so much work to research something and then write for it, right? I was like, oh, I'm just doing this for the yeah. you know, for the job. It's not I don't have the passion for it, so I, I, I you know I kind of stopped doing it because I was really picky about what I wanted to work on. And then uh, uh, you know Jason was working on the Conan game for Modiphius, and uh, one day he emailed me and said, hey Jim, uh, Modiphius is uh, working on a new RPG. I can't tell you what it is, but you should send in your information because I think they'll be in- you'll be interested and they'll be interested. And, uh, you know, I wish you the best. 
And then he signed off by saying live long and prosper, which uh, <laughs> he normally doesn't do in his emails, but that kind of gave you the clue that uh, something was something was up. And uh, and so I sent my uh, I sent my information over, and they hired me, and uh, you know went on from there. Um, but yeah, I, I you know, going back to your original question, I think Star Trek's always been a huge part of my life, and uh, I'm just grateful to be giving back to it in a certain degree now. Hmm. So. What is the what is the role that you're doing on Star Trek Adventures right now? Uh, yeah, so um, I started off as a writer and then um, very rapidly um, got myself involved as an editor and a proofreader and just kind of a, a catch-all person who knew the property really well um, and also knew other Star Trek writers who knew the property really well. So I was able to bring some of my, my, uh, my fellow Star Trek writers in with me. Um, which uh, which helped because a, a lot of them knew the ins and outs of working with CBS in terms of you know managing the whole um, uh, licensing or not licensing but the approvals process and um, you know adding on names like uh, Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson that that because it's all the same people approving the novels as are approving the game stuff right so they knew the names and they're like oh we know these people and, and just kind of like I think it helped elevate Medifius a little bit in their minds to say this isn't necessarily a new company coming at us with new content they they're actually they got the same people that we're working with already and so I'm, I'm glad i was able to bring you know some of my friends in who who also you know knew how to how, to, how all this worked and uh, so i went from writer to editor and then gradually just inveigled myself into being uh, a uh, invaluable member of the team and uh, taking a lot of workload off of uh, sam webb who at the time was the line manager for star trek and uh, he moved on to new new bigger roles at Modiphius. And I just kind of like, you know, followed him along and continued to take on more and more work for the line until finally at Gen Con, I said, hey, you know, I think we've been doing this for a while now. Why don't you just make me the line manager and uh, you can focus on your thing and I'll focus on my thing. And, and they were OK with that. And so I became the, the program manager. And uh, in answer to your question, basically what, the, what I'm responsible for is pretty much everything to do with the game um creatively and also business wise i mean obviously there's a there's a management team at Medifius who supports me quite a bit in terms of like the budget and the logistics and the printing and all that i mean there's just a huge team of people that most people yeah, don't see i mean if you look at the credits there, there's i think Medifius um employs you know 40 or 50 people which i don't think a lot of people are really aware of um just how big of a company it is uh, plus they have a huge cadre of of freelancers of course like most companies do um but so um, I'm, I'm partly responsible for conceptualizing different products and then, uh, cr uh, you know, finding um, a freelance team who will work on it, mostly the writers. Uh, we do have art directors at Modifius who manage the art side. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm usually responsible for writing up the art briefs. So, like, you know, we want a you know, half-page illustration of Cardassians fighting Bajorans or something. You know, going into that level mm -hmm. of detail, you know, whatever is needed. So... It's uh, it's a little bit of everything. It's uh, it's writing art briefs. It's uh, project managing a book from you know idea to outline to manuscript on into production, and then you know, you finally get it in your hands. Uh, so there's a lot of moving parts, and um, at any given time, I've got maybe 25 to 40 different products going on at the same time. Uh, whether it's big books or like short PDFs, we do a lot of PDFs. For the game at, at yeah, very the mission length. briefs, so. yeah, the mission briefs, the standalone adventures, uh, some other stuff in the works. So it's just, uh, it's really more than anything else. It's, it's hurting cats, <laughs> honestly. It's it's <laughs> constant, constant emails, just you know, 
keep, keeping track of like where different pieces of the progress of, of the projects are at any given time, and then doing that for twenty different projects every day, right? So it's it's just a lot of a lot of work, and um, it, it never really ends because uh, it's like it's cyclical, right? So you finish one project, you're immediately working on another one, and you finish that one, and you're immediately working on another one. So it's just a constant uh, cycle of new stuff. And I mean, we've been at this for five years now. And I don't know, we've got maybe 70 or 80 discrete products that we've released between digital and, and print. And we've got a long runway ahead of us still with years to come. So there's no shortage of stuff to work on. And, uh, you know, I, I was really excited the other day, not to digress, but uh, hearing that uh, Alex Kurtzman just signed a five-year deal with CBS for uh, for more Star Trek works kind of, like, got me excited. Ooh. Like, well, you know, there's a good chance that... Uh, if we're able to secure some of those licenses as well, then we'll have even more stuff to work on in addition to the stuff from the legacy series that we haven't even touched yet. Right. I mean, we've got 55 years worth of star Trek that we, in a lot of cases, we still haven't touched everything yet that we want to get to. And uh, I think there's plenty of potential for more stuff. And it's just a matter of finding the time to get it all um, onto the schedule and then uh, accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm talking about like, securing other licenses and stuff mm-hmm. that you haven't touched yet. Uh, at the end of 2020, Modifius announced that uh, they were going to be doing stuff with Discovery and Picard. Mm-hmm. So, yep. um, of course, without breaking any NDAs or anything, is there anything that you can tell us about where those are or what you're excited about for getting into those two series? Um, so, also, we did announce that we do have the, the licenses for Discovery and Picard, which was super exciting. Um, and uh, it just gives gives giving us an opportunity to make you know more cool stuff to to add to the add to the line because for a while there our our, our game timeline kind of stopped at twenty three seventy nine right right at the end of Nemesis and everything else was kind of like well you just kind of make it up as you want um, and then you know we did the, we did the Klingon book um, in twenty twenty and and we didn't have the decide that we didn't have the discovery license yet when we were finishing up the Klingon book. And I wish we had because we could have added. Yeah, there you go. And and we he just uh, of course this is not going to be on video, but he just showed off the, his copy of the uh, collector's edition Klingon book, which is an amazing. It's product. very beautiful. Uh, yeah. I finally, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been so busy. I'll be honest with you. I got my copy back in January, and I've been so busy this year. I didn't even open the box until just the other day. Oh, like I need to, I need to get these boxes out of my house because they're just piling up. <laughs> so yeah, I finally yeah. opened up my copy. And I was like, oh, this is really nice. And they're like, oh, now I understand what people were saying about it because the the leather on it is just so supple. I had no idea how nice it's it was. Um, but, but you know, I digress. Um, but yeah, so we yeah, do sorry, have sorry distraction. Yeah, yeah, that's no, okay. Uh, so we do have discovery stuff coming. We we do have Picard stuff coming. Um, as far as what it is, I, I mean, I don't think I'm breaking any. It's not going to be any surprise that we're working on books, and we're also working on uh, digital releases. Right? You can expect some uh, uh, some character packs and some standalone adventures and some mission briefs. Uh, th- those are our kind of. Uh, Key digital releases right now. Um, I've got other ideas for digital stuff on the on the wish list and the whiteboard, but nothing nothing final yet. But you can expect a, reg- a regular dose of uh, discovery stuff and Picard stuff in, in the near future. Um, and what what am I excited about? Um, I, I can't name names yet, but I am super super excited about the about the group of writers I've got for Discovery. And uh, without a doubt, it is the most diverse group of writers I've ever had on any project for for Star Trek Adventures so far. And I, I can't wait for them to be able to start talking about it because uh, it's really cool who we were able to, or you know, who I was able to find 
partly because uh, social media makes the world so much smaller. And when I start talking to people and say, oh, you know, do you want to work on the game? <laughs> and 99 times out of 100, they say, oh, my God, yes, I love the game. I'd love to work on it. And uh, just, yeah. just uh, you know, drag them in that way, which is great, because uh, it's uh, I, I think the, the fans who pay attention to the different Star Trek licensees and also to just like the general names of people who are involved in different Star Trek stuff um, are going to recognize the names and go, oh, hey, they're working on the game. That's pretty cool. Um, so that's, that's how I, what I hope for anyway. Um, but yeah, so we've got some cool stuff coming for Discovery and Picard in the uh, in the coming months and and yeah, coming months and years. Um, quite quite a bit of uh, concepts on the on the plate and, and stuff in progress as well. So uh, um, just you know, I, I tell I tell fans online to save your latinum because there's just so much cool stuff coming, <laughs> and, and some of them don't believe me. Because unfortunately, you know, a lot of this work, you know, of course, you, you mentioned NDAs. So much happens behind the scenes, and a lot of times, um, uh, like press releases and announcements, take a long time to to come together, and it takes a long time to get artwork together and to get final art. I mean, just, there's just a lot of moving parts that I think a lot of fandom doesn't necessarily think about, or maybe not quite realize just how much is involved in putting a a thing together. Even a small PDF takes months right and um um now that Medifius has grown like Medifius has grown quite a bit in the last five years and and now that we have thankfully we and necessarily because we are growing uh we have more processes in place and we have a, a bigger team now and so there's just that many more moving parts where like if we want to do a press release you know it's not enough to just like you know throw something up on social media and say oh hey we're doing this thing uh you know now we have to be a little bit more intentional about building uh building interest and building excitement and getting um, uh, distributors on board and getting, you know, just all the different pieces that are involved that some of it, I, I, I just kind of like don't get involved in too much. Like, cause I, cause like there's certain things I am responsible for. And then sometimes I can like, I can hand stuff off to marketing and say, okay, you, you deal with that. I'll write the copy, but you handle, <laughs> you handle the push. Right. Um, so there's just a lot of stuff going on, but uh, yeah, it, that, that was a long winded answer to your question as far as Picard and uh, discovery. That's all right. I am. I I have to rewatch Picard because we watched it all like really really quickly. But I'm a big Discovery fan. Where a bunch of my friends, you know, they they dropped off because the first season was a little bit rough. The second <laughs> season gets better. Um, I was all in. I really really loved it. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, like a lot. Yeah, I, I am grateful that. Uh... That it's on streaming services, and that I, you know, I, I went ahead and bought the physical, um, you know, the discs as well because um, I liked it. I liked Discovery okay when I watched it the first time through, um, but being able to watch it all at once, as opposed to like once a week, um, it, it changed the experience quite a bit, and it made things mm -hmm. feel a little bit more cohesive for me anyway. Because it's it was hard to like, okay, I watched an hour, and then a week later, okay, now I'm watching an hour, and it, it was kind of hard to like. Quite, quite, you know, figure it all out. But uh, I've I've rewatched Discovery, I think five or six times now, straight through. Wow. And I've, I've cherry picked it here and there because for necessary research. But uh, it's yeah. it's gotten better. Like even the first season, which I didn't love, even the first season has gotten way better every time I rewatch it because I keep finding new nuances in the characters mm -hmm. and the acting, and uh, of course the special effects and the music are fantastic from day one. I mean, this is a this is a movie we get yes. to watch every week. You know, it's ridiculous how amazing special effects have gotten for television now. Like you know, the me 30 years ago when I was watching the original series reruns, 
this is the Star Trek we wish we had had, you know, back in the day. <laughs> the special effects have just gotten so much better now. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I really, I, I am 100% all in on Discovery and Lower Decks. And, uh, you know, actually, I need to rewatch Lower Picard Deck. again. I, I'm, a little, I'm a little off on uh, Picard, but I need to rewatch it um, and get, get deeper into that again. But yeah, I, I'm just, I'm loving this, uh, this new golden age of Star Trek that we're in right now. It's, it's just great. Yeah, and I, I mean, let's talk about lower. Let's talk about lower decks for a second because that sure. show, just start to finish, you just can't stop laughing. It is so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and lower decks is another one where, like, watching it the first time through, because I had never watched uh, Rick, or, Rick and Morty, so I really had no idea what I was coming mm-hmm. into. And I watched it, and I was like, okay, what the hell is this? And uh, because like there were some episodes that were like really really funny and really really great, and then there was like a couple sequences and a couple scenes that I was like, am I supposed to laugh at that? That's not funny. They're, like there was one scene where they're talking about uh, um like a like a holodeck kids school got destroyed and all the kids were killed, and I was like, that's you know killing kids is not funny. And, and I, I little, it took a while to kind of like get over that Rick and Morty kind of like uh, the, their particular sense of humor, right? And uh, the other challenge I had, actually, which is kind of weird, is that, um, let's see, I think it was on, it wasn't on Paramount Plus first, it was on CBS All Access, right, first, before they switched over to Paramount. And for whatever reason, my my CBS Plus account on the, you know, streaming through the PlayStation, the uh, the closed captioning didn't work. And so, because some of their vocal deliveries, the actors, was so fast, I was having trouble picking up what they were actually saying. And so it kind of like felt like some of the actors, I mean, of course, the actors were not mumbling, but it just the way the diction was and the way the cadence was and the speed of their dialogue, I was having trouble keeping up with some of what they were saying. And that kind of like I lost the experience a little bit. Um, but when I went back and watched it on disc and turned on the closed captioning, I was like, oh, now I get it. Now I now I can actually hear and see what they're saying. And, and boy, it's pretty funny. And uh, they yeah. they pack so many references. Like there's so many Easter eggs in every single scene. It's it, it's unreal uh, how much how much they, I mean, it's so clear every single frame of that show, how much the people involved in it love Star Trek. And if nothing yeah, else, that just appeals sure. to my heart because I love Star Trek too. And, uh, um, I think the season, like getting, uh, Riker and Troy and the, and the Titan yeah. involved, I was like, Oh my gosh, I was, just, I was just so excited because I love the Titan design that, uh, Sean Torngo put together for the, for the Luna class. I remember back when he when uh, they did the novels for the Titan series, and he won the contest to to do the design of the ship. And I was like, "Oh, that's got to get on screen somewhere someday." And and finally, mm. by by God, they did it <laughs> because it looked great <laughs> on the show. And I can't yeah. wait to see. I'm sure they're going to do more of it in season two. Um, so I'm just yeah, I, I'm all in. I, I I was a little I was hanging back a little bit on lower decks. I wasn't sure I was going to like it, but uh, by the end of the first season, I was like, "Yep, I'm all in." Because you know, if nothing else, it's it's new Star Trek, and how can you not love new Star Trek on the on the on the TV screen every week? You know, yeah, and it's coming back really soon. Yes, very, very soon. weeks, couple a couple weeks. weeks. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about the Shackleton Expanse campaign? <laughs> I could I could talk all day about the Shackleton Expanse campaign, <laughs> um, but right. I will I will I will be brief because uh, I know that it is uh, it is in um, it is in production even as we speak, and it'll be hitting it'll be hitting freight and distribution in the coming months, and uh, you know who knows when it's going to hit stores. Frankly, because the the world is what it oh, is right now. Is the 
universe. And and global shipping is crazy. Like like the last eighteen months, I've learned more about the global shipping challenges than I ever wanted to know. And uh, part of me almost wishes I could go back in time and invest in shipping containers. Because if I could have invested in shipping containers, I'd be making a mint right now. And and you know, of course, if I was mercenary enough, I'd be doing it. I, I don't know if I could do that really, but. Uh, it's just crazy right now. But I, I can say for sure Shackleton is, in fact, at the printers. It's being printed. Hopefully, it'll come out before the end of the year. Um, that's the goal anyway. And uh, it has been in the works for pretty much since the beginning of the game, right? Because the uh, the Shackleton Experience campaign guide, um, the roots of it are in the Living Campaign. And the Living Campaign is what we started working on way back when the game was in uh, playtest. The, the first handful of adventures, because we created some adventures, uh, to help people playtest the game. And we kind of folded that into a living campaign. And the theory behind the living campaign was that we would publish uh, two two uh, new adventures every month along with a survey. And we would survey game masters and players and say, hey, you just played this adventure. How did it go? Here's some specific questions to answer. Like, you know, did you encounter this NPC? Did this NPC survive to the end of the adventure? What specific actions did you take here, here, and here? And the theory was that we would then shape the campaign based on, you know, player feedback. And then it would actually be a literal, you know, quote unquote, living campaign that would grow and change over the course of months. And then the players would be able to look at it and say, oh, you know, because enough of us did, you know, option A, that shaped the campaign in a different direction. So that was the theory anyway. And um, the reality, though, is that it took so much time for us to um, write an adventure and a survey and send it out and wait for, and wait for it to get approved. Actually, it had to get approved by CBS first. And then we sent it out to people. Right, yeah, yeah. And then we had to wait for them to play it. And then we had to get feedback back. And then we, we, you know, there, was, there was this weird situation where we, we had to be writing the next one before we were getting the feedback on the first one. And eventually it just turned into this, this thing where like, there was no way we could really implement anybody's feedback fast enough in order to get them going out on a regular basis because a lot of game groups were, were playing way ahead of us and, and uh, they were like we're ready for the next one we want to play and then they would just kind of like go off in their own directions which is ultimately what we wanted them to do anyway because we, we want you to take the adventure and just go crazy with it uh, so you know eventually it took us a, a, so we started that in what 2016 and then the game came out in 2017 and then we wrapped up like the quote unquote first season of the living campaign in early 2019 and at that point we were like okay we're we're exhausted from trying to run this run this uh, treadmill and we had other products to work on and so we kind of like let it sit for a little while and and we were thinking in the background like what are we going to do with that living campaign we've got to do something with it to kind of like just continue it and about that time we were doing the klingon book and because one of the conceits baked into the living campaign is that uh it's it's partially based on Narendra Station, Starbase 364, which is uh, the quote, w w which is the only jointly run Federation Klingon starbase, right? So that was the theory: was that here's a starbase, the Klingons and the Federation are working together. They build a starbase together. They're using that as kind of the gateway to the Shackleton Expanse, which is a region of the Beta Quadrant that uh, that we made up. Uh, Dayton Ward and Scott Pearson created the initial um, design document for the living campaign and the overall concept of the Shackleton Expanse and the uh, the mysterious alien species, the, the Tilakal. And so we took that and ran with it and built a living campaign off of that. But um, um, so Narendra Station, um, because it was part Klingon and part Federation, 
um, we knew that when we were developing the Klingon core book, it would be a perfect opportunity to start doing the Shackleton Expanse, you know, or going back to it in some some fashion, because we could tie in that whole Klingon element to it, right? And so we finally decided, well, why don't we do a full blown like campaign setting slash epic campaign kind of book? And it, it kind of harkened back to the old, uh, you know, the old D and D box sets like Forgotten Realms, where you got like just this huge amount of content in one place, and you could use that to to run, you know, hundreds of hours of adventures, right? That was the idea: was that we would just throw as much cool stuff into this product as we could, so that game masters and players could literally take a core rule book of their choice and the Shackleton campaign book and just go off and run Star Trek for the rest of your life because you'll never run out of yeah you'll never run out of content, right? And so um, we started developing it, and um, and then COVID hit, <laughs> and and we put it on hold for a while because uh, you know the UK, um, a lot of the companies in the UK went on furlough, and so because a lot of Medifia staff was on furlough, like they couldn't work, and not, like I'm, I'm here in the United States and I'm a freelancer, so I wasn't really uh, constrained by that quite so much, but I had to be careful about what I was working on because uh, it was just you know where where we were at the time as a as a um, country in the world right just dealing with covid um so it got delayed quite a bit um but then we got back to it and and now we're finally after two years of developing this book but five years of developing the overall living campaign it we're finally able to bring it out and um i can't wait for people to finally get it because honestly i'm i I mean it's it's off to um the printer now right so i don't have to stare at the layout anymore but i mean it's been (laughs) it's been months where for a while there uh, me and the the proofreader were literally the only two people on the planet who had read the entire thing and knew everything about it. And uh, that's on the one hand, that's kind of cool, right? To know that out of several seven billion people on the planet, I'm one of the only people who've read this whole stupid thing. <laughs> but on the other <laughs> hand, it sucks because like I couldn't share it with anybody, like because like I, I've got I had a bunch of writers working on it and they they all wrote pieces of it. And they kind of like they had the outline, so they they kind of knew how it all came together. But it's one thing to kind of know how it all comes together, and then to see the full blown manuscript all together with all the art, all the layout, all the pieces yeah. in place. And it's just a completely different experience. And I, I just cannot wait to finally get this thing out into the public, so that they can take it and 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 just do something with it. Because I'm confident, having seen what Star Trek Adventures fans do with our our published adventures. And all the books, and like even just you, you know your stream, just all the stuff that you're already doing with the game is going to be like amplified a thousandfold when you get all this new content in your hands. And I just, I, I'm just like I could quit right now this job and just like spend the next five years watching streams and twitches and YouTubes and stuff of people taking this content and just doing cool stuff with it because I just can't wait to see what happens. Because literally, we pack. I tried to pack as much as I possibly could into this book. Um, and uh, if I had one uh, request for people, it's that try to read the book carefully because there's there's Easter eggs and little plot hooks and nuggets of bit of stuff that we dropped in there um, on every page, right? And and right. part of that is the product. And, and you said and I remember you mentioned you were a professional writer, right? Um, when you're yeah. working on this stuff by yourself in the middle of the night, and you get this random stupid idea in your head, and you're like, oh, that would be really cool and you, drop, you drop in you drop in a sentence on page 300 and you're like you know because i'm the last line of defense I'm, I'm the i'm the i'm the line editor as well as the project manager so ultimately like my eyes are usually usually the last ones on the products before they go to the printer um 
so there's a lot of stuff I was able to put in there that, you know, of course CBS approves everything. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in there that like not many people have read <laughs> or seen. And I just, <laughs> I'm like the, I'm like the GM behind the screen. Like, like I'm, I'm just rubbing my hands in glee, like just waiting for them to discover the things that are in there. Just all the random little Star Trek bits and bobs that we've found along the way from the novels and the comic books and just everything that we've had access to that we just dropped into here. So I'm really excited for the Shackleton book. I hope everybody else is too. I know a lot of people have been waiting for it for a long time. And uh, like, again, I'm just, I'm super excited to finally have it out and, uh, and or, you know, have it on its way to being out, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah Shackleton is going to be a, a fun one. And it'll be really curious, I mean, just from a practical business standpoint to see how it does. Um, because it's our first, like, campaign setting for the game and i really have no idea what to expect from it like it'll either be amazing or it'll be like okay that was kind of cool uh so i'm really kind of curious to see what the fan response is and uh you know we'll, we'll go from there and see what happens but uh yeah looking forward to it see how it determines the next couple of years of products perhaps um no <laughs> not really <laughs> no I mean, it, it might to some extent, like it, it might influence whether we do more campaign settings. Uh, but that yeah. being said, like we've already got the next 18 months of products so much planned. locked down. And um, so like even if Shackleton comes up and, you know, heaven forbid, knock on wood, heaven forbid that it bombs, um, we've still got another year and a half of stuff that's going to come out anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, of course. So, I mean, I, I don't ever want any of our products to, to bomb. And uh, I don't think any of them have yet. Um, I mean, I don't look at the numbers that closely because it's not really my responsibility to worry about the, um, the financial side of things. But, uh, um, I, I think, you know, I, I can't worry about it. My, my job is to make the coolest thing I can <laughs> and, uh, and hope the fans like it. And hopefully the fans like it. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I can't wait to get it. Yeah. I can't wait Thanks. to take a look at it. Um, okay. So before we go to our bracket, uh, sure. I'll just do a, a quick little, uh, insert for my stream because as you mentioned uh you like seeing what people are doing with star trek adventures and uh this stream came about because i saw the kickstarter for monty cook games the darkest house mm -hmm. so that horror um like haunted house game that you could drop into any setting and i immediately went that'd be a really cool holodeck program <laughs> yeah and so um if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out the stream yet, we have three episodes out uh, that are all the VODs are on Twitch. And we're going to be playing again Wednesday, August 11th at uh, 8 o'clock p.m. Mountain Time. Yeah, so that's our cool thing. Uh, we actually got into the we got into the Darkest House on the third episode. Uh -huh. And so... It was great because, you know, the Star Trek characters are pulling out their tricorders and like, what is going on here? And you're like, yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's a, you know, it, it's great that you mentioned the, the Haunted House because I, I tell you, um, Star Trek is amazing. Like, like, I mean, all the props to Gene Roddenberry and, and the production team from the very beginning for creating this, this setting, this property. It, it's like, I, I, as, a, as a, you know, fiction writer and then, you know, a huge reader too, it's like I I have not been able to find a genre yet that you couldn't fit into Star Trek somehow, some way. Like obviously, like you know, yeah. some genres like you know erotica or or stuff would be a certain kind of Star Trek that you would have to put on like cable or something. 
But like every other genre I can think of reading, like there it, it there's either an episode or several episodes that are like, yep, that's a mystery, that's a romance, that's a horror story, etc. But it's just amazing to me that a science fiction, pro, you know, a science fiction, you know, setting can ha- you can fit any kind of story into it. And I think that's one of the for me that's one of the big appeals of Star Trek Adventures is that uh, um, I mean, as a game master, I can I can tell literally any story, and it'll it'll fit right. Like there's enough yeah. wiggle room. Like you can either throw a techno babble excuse at it, or you can make it a holodeck story or a, or a, a Q can snap his fingers and you're like, you're suddenly in Renaissance Europe or whatever. I mean, it, it, I just love the fact that you can do literally anything with, with the setting and the property and it'll, it'll make sense in the end. Right. I just, it's, it's just great. Mm-hmm. I, and that's not so much for Star Trek adventures. That's just Star Trek in general. So, um, I, I know I'm, I'm telling you nothing you don't already know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do love Star Trek. Yeah. So let's talk um, about the bracket. Um can can you set yeah. it up? So like I was you sent me the uh, you sent me the names and I was like, okay, but I, I wanted a little like context as far as like um what mm-hmm. kind of game are we running here? Can, can you- okay. So here's what we're doing. For anybody who uh didn't see this on Twitter, we took um about six to eight characters from each live action star trek show and we put them in a quiz and let people sort of nominate two characters from each show that they thought would make the best game master and so we're only going starfleet personnel so sorry to the fans of flocks and uh (laughs) like to paul um but we've narrowed it down to 12 contestants and we're going to go through a bracket we're going to give them head-to-heads um, and Jim and I are just going to discuss, uh, who we think would win between these two particular GMs. And then that person, the winner will move on to the next sort of thing until we've narrowed it down to only one. So in a 12 person bracket, we have our top four seeds. They've basically gotten a buy. They've already won and they don't have to be in the first round. Mm-hmm. So just saying our top four, Jadzia Dax. Data, Hoshi Sato, and Tom Paris. Those are our top four. They they get a free pass in the first round. So, our our first round head to head is between Sylvia Tilly from Discovery and Jordy LaForge from The Next Generation. So, mm-hmm. Jim, what do you think? Who would be the better game master between Tilly and LaForge? <clears throat> Is there a particular game we're talking about here that they're game mastering, or just like kind of like overall game master, game master foo here? Let's do overall because I mean, let's let's give them the opportunity to choose their own game. Oh, it's tough. I feel like Jordy would be the kind of game master who you know brings a whole bunch of props and stuff to to the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Jordy Tilly's would... energy. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say Jordy. Jordy feels like the kind of game master who would like know all the rules inside out, and he would be like the the rules lawyeriest game master ever. Like he, like if if you <laughs> if, if you came to the game with a character and you're like, you know, I don't know the rules, I'm just gonna play my character. He would be the one who'd be like, oh, well, your character can do this and this and this and da 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 da, and uh, would would know like know the rules, you know, by heart. And so, like for the um, for the gamers who were really into like the system, he would be the ideal game master for you, right? Because he, you know, Jordy honestly mm-hmm. is a bit of a toast, 
he's not really super personable. He's not a good people person. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Just like he struggles with interpersonal relationships to some extent, right? His best yeah. friend's an android. Um, but on the other side of the coin, like uh, Tilly, super personable, loves everybody, yeah. cares about everybody, and is also super brilliant, right? So she knows she knows the rules and she knows how to flex them to to make things work. And she's got that that gift of um, oh, you know that that she's got that brain where like you can take two completely random concepts and mash them together and they work, right? Because she's got the math and the know how and the confidence to to make it work. So I, I, you know, I think between Jordy and, and Tilly, I think Tilly would be the stronger game master, just across the broadest possible spectrum of games and and player types that would come to their table. I think I think Tilly could probably manage all of them um, more effectively than Jordy could. In my opinion, I like it. I think that that's perfectly. I think that that makes perfect <laughs> sense. Um, I think we move Tilly forward in that one. Okay. Okay. Fair. So next up, we have Miles O'Brien from Deep Space Nine. Sure. And Jet Reno from Discovery. <laughs> I mean, I'm a little bit biased here because I have a particular love of Jet Reno's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, anytime Tignataro is on the screen, I'm, I'm completely focused in. Um, I think that Jet would just be... I think that... Uh, that sort of game would be very like flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Uh, you, you'd never know what you're going to show up to, but it would be really funny. Mm-hmm. And then Miles, I feel like he's the guy who would give you like the really, the really intense, like um, action oriented games. Like, I mm-hmm. think that he would be tactical. He'd be interested in getting you like in the trenches uh, fighting battles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Between yeah, the two? And, and I think I'm trying to think a little meta too, right? So, so O'Brien, of course, has two kids and a wife, and so the demands on his time would be such that he might be challenged mm-hmm. yeah. to be able to regularly run. It. So he'd be do, he'd be running like a lot of one shots and and short, you know, short mini campaigns, right? I, I don't think he'd be able to sustain like a long term campaign. Uh, not that that's, that's necessarily, a good point. Yeah. not necessarily important, but like, um, of course he's he, he's 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 not like uh, LaForge in that he you know he may not know the systems by heart, but he knows how to pull different pieces together, right? So he he'd be really mm-hmm. good at like some of the systems where you're like, oh, it's just a toolbox, you know, we use what you like and forget what you don't like, and he could just cobble it together, and uh, and, and he would make this really cool game for his players, but his players would get frustrated because they wouldn't necessarily know what all the rules are, <laughs> right? Because he'd be like. <laughs> I use this rule from this game system and this rule from this game system and kind of cobbled them together and made it work. And the players were like, well, okay, if it works for you, we'll just kind of go with it. Um, you know, that's a, so, that's an interesting, that's an interesting head to head because of course the first yeah. time we meet Jet Reno, exactly. keeping people alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I like about Jet is that she is 100% unflappable, Right, like no matter who comes at her with an issue or a problem or an insult or a challenge, or whatever she's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. I, yeah. I'm not impressed by you. I don't care. You know, you're you're questioning me. Did you bring snacks? Like that's what I'm focused on. <laughs> and and so I think I think between these two, I think Reno's the better or the stronger choice for a game master because the players could come up with any number of crazy, random yes. ideas or approaches to the problems that she throws at them, and she'd be like, yeah, okay, sure. And and then she would just like 
steamroll them if they got it on the wrong track or something. Um, but at the same time, like she really cares about people too, right? I mean, she was keeping people alive That's true. through alchemy and, uh, and chicanery in those first couple episodes with all the technology that she was throwing at them. Uh, and she, you know, I love that line that she had about, uh, what, what she said, uh, I, I, I read books and I learn or something like that. It's like, oh yeah, she's, she's, oh, on top okay, of her yeah. game. you know, so I, I would go with, I mean, I love O'Brien. He's a great character. Um, although I think DS9 really enjoyed torturing him every season. Um, Yes, so I, they I, did. I go with I go with Reno if only because, like I said, she's just completely unflappable and unfazable. And like, if I if she had a group of players, like there's nothing that the player like no matter how outrageous of an idea the players could come up with, Reno would would be on top of it and be like, oh yeah, that's that's nothing. That's I, I got that hand, I got that in my back pocket, so it's no big deal. So yeah, I would I would Perfect. take Reno. Okay, Jet Reno moves forward. No, um, <laughs> I was definitely pulling for Reno. I think that there will be a couple of other ones uh, as we go. Uh, so next up, we have Niota Uhura mm-hmm. against, uh, from, of course, the original series, yeah. against The Doctor mm. from Voyager. <sighs> I'm going to have to lean on your expertise here. Uh, my... My confession is that I have not watched the original series is the only one that I haven't watched through sequentially. Uh-huh. So I've hit a couple of episodes here and there, and there's a ton mm. that I haven't seen. Got it. So got it. Yeah, I uh I mean just on the surface, I think I would definitely lean toward Yuhura because she is she is a mm. super competent Starfleet officer. You see her in the episodes. Like she's got the communications figured out. She takes command in a couple of animated episodes, and uh, there's okay, there's yeah. one or two episodes where she's actually, uh, you know, something goes wrong on the bridge, and she's on the deck, you know, doing the repairs under the console, you know, getting getting it done. And Spock even compliments her a couple couple times to say, "Hey, you're doing great work." And and uh, she was pretty unflappable too, right? I mean, she was right there in the middle of it in a lot of episodes, and uh, she stood up to Sulu and a couple other characters quite a few times. So. Um, mm-hmm. so she's, I mean, she's not quite as unflappable as, as, as Reno, but then, I mean, who is right. Um, but yeah. like, as far as a, like a well-rounded character and a well-rounded potential game master, plus all the languages that she speaks, I think, I think you, her is a strong, oh, yeah. strong choice. And I think the doctor is an interesting choice because you have to think that he was programmed from a compilation of doctors to be like the Uber doctor as, as a, uh, hologram. Um, but I think the challenge with the Doctor is, um, especially early on in Voyager's series, he was really kind of like very, very narrow, very, very boxed. In. Yeah, he he needed to grow a lot more. So if we're looking at the Doctor from like the earlier Voyager as opposed to the later Voyager, then then I'd say Uhura would just blow him away because he would he would be kind of like limited in what he could do. He wasn't much of a people person. He had a terrible bedside manner. Yeah, and so like. I think the players would be frustrated because they'd be like throwing ideas at him and he'd be like, well, you're not doing it this way or you're not doing it this way. So I'd almost say that like the doctor would almost be like your, uh, your railroading kind of GM who like he's, he Mm -hmm. writes the adventure or he uses a pre-made adventure and he's got you on rails and he doesn't want you to deviate from it. And then he gets frustrated or flustered if you do deviate too much and it just makes a challenging, you know, game experience. So for these two, I think I would, I would definitely lean toward uh, Uhura. Yeah, I think my only counterpoint for the Doctor 
yeah. would be that he would give one of those really immersive stories. Mm. But the point about it being a railroad is well taken because it would be it would be him writing a book to you. It'd be one of those game masters. It'd be yeah, where where he tries to make you not feel like you're on rails, but you know you're on rails because you you run into the yeah you, you get the clipping on the side of the walls after after a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, Uhura moves forward. All right, so all right. last in the sort of first round, uh, we have Travis Mayweather from uh, Enterprise huh? and Hikaru Sulu from the original series. I mean, for me, I I have to go with Sulu just because of his amount of of character and charisma. Travis mm-hmm. is is awesome and like dependable, but I feel like he he'd make a better player than a game master. Mm-hmm. He'd be the guy who always shows up, who knows the other players' backstories, and is is in it to make a good story for everybody. But I don't see him being super creative behind the screen. What do you think? Yeah, I think, uh, unfortunately, Travis gets a bit of a knock because they just didn't use the character much on the show, and which is unfortunate because I think he's a great actor. And uh, like, there's a lot of potential there, like him being a boomer and had, having just a different life experience than a lot of the other characters. But yeah, I, I agree that if you look at the you know totality of Sulu's um, career that we've seen on the screen from being a... A botanist, and then becoming the uh, the helm officer, and then becoming a captain in his own right. Like he's just got so much personality yeah. and and um, and energy that, he, and he would bring that to every NPC that he played. Right on on the um, in a game, like he would, he would just bring a lot of life to all the different characters that he was throwing at the players. Um, mm-hmm. And again, Sulu, like Uhura, is just a really well rounded officer. So he's just got a lot of different talents and skills and knowledge to pull on that uh you know to a certain extent you you almost as a player you wouldn't know what to expect session to session right because like one session you could get a, a big long dissertation about you know plants and botany and martial arts and swords and then like the next one would be about astro astronomy and astro navigation and uh you know yeah. um other stuff. So I, I don't know. I think I, I got to go with Sulu here, but uh, I got to put an asterisk on it just to say that, you know, Mayweather, I think this is kind of an unfair fight because uh, I don't think we had an opportunity to learn enough about Mayweather over four seasons of Enterprise. Um, so I think that that's unfortunate. And I think I agree with you that um, I would I would have Mayweather in every game as a player because I think he'd be the player like me, honestly, who who takes meticulous notes every session. And like yes. where where most of the players are like, uh, who are we supposed to be going to? Who, who are we going to go rescue? Like what, what what's our what's no. our mission? Mayweather would be the one keeping everybody on track. When the when the game yeah. master kind of does that exasperated sigh of like, are, are you even playing the game? Or are you just showing up? I mean, like Mayweather would be like the guy taking the notes and keeping everybody on track. Yeah. So if you're listening, CBS, uh, <laughs> start putting out some queries. Uh, put out a call for submissions for authors to write some uh, some expanded uh, Mayweather fiction. um okay so then we go up into our second round and the first seeds are no longer safe um at the top we have jadzia dax versus sylvia tilly oh man that's tough because jadzia brings so much to the table Mm -hmm. uh being a joined trill 
you're going to have so much experience to draw on. And like, we see Jadzia in some incredible, like diverse situations. She's an excellent warrior. She's tactical. She's scientific. Um, I think it's a good fight between her and Sylvia and Tilly. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's a tough one. I, I have to, I have to almost say that everything we said about Tilly, I think is like, that's Jadzia Dax times nine, right? Cause she's, she's had nine lifetimes yeah. to do it. And, uh, she has so many lifetimes to draw on and so many experiences. And, uh, um, like, like I mean, Jed Z has been a mother and a father and uh, a brother and a sister and like everything. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. she's lived every single possible conceivable life experience several times over. And, um, and but you know, Jed Z especially is just so much fun, right? She's such she's so full of life. And I'm glad that the yeah. writers DS9 let her open up a little bit in the third and fourth seasons just to bring all these different mm-hmm. character elements. And then she she really blossomed when uh, Worf came on board. That added a whole another yeah. dynamic. Um, and of course, then you know she was wasted when they uh, when they just killed her off, which is a huge huge loss. But but then we got Ezri, right? And Ezri's a different character. But uh, I think I think Jadzia Dax um, would be the complete GM. And, and, I mean, she'd be like every GM, like the best of every GM, all combined into one because just she has so much, um, so many life experiences to draw on. Like, she's she's the game master, I think, who could who could run literally anything and be successful at it. Like if her players got bored with like Star Trek and they said, Oh, let's go run Marvel superheroes for a couple of weeks. She'd be like, she'd be all in. She'd be like, yeah, let's do yeah, it. Yeah. And then three weeks later, she'd be like, okay, now we're going to do, you know, a vampire, the masquerade. And then a couple of weeks later, we're going to do paranoia or whatever. And like every single game mm-hmm. she ran would be awesome and amazing because it's just, it's Jadzi and Dax running it. And, and she'd have so many life experiences to throw at you. In fact, if she really wanted to get creative, <laughs> she could she could, run, she could run each different game as a different host, right? So you know, yeah. one, host, one host could run something, and then Curzon could run something, and then she could draw on you know M and E to run something else, and and like the players would be if it was the same players, they'd be like, like who is this? Who is this game at? Who 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 are we going to get tonight? This chameleon, right? the chameleon, um, yeah, exactly. Okay, so counterpoint, yeah, um, for Tilly. I feel like we get to see her um, become such a uh, a supporting figure for for Michael Burnham. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the, she's the friend who really really takes the time to get to know what you want, what you yeah. want out of your game. And so, does that edge her over? Because maybe Jadzia has all of that stuff, and she's one of the ones who's going to give you that big, flashy game. Mm-hmm. Sylvia's going to take the time to listen to what you're looking for. Uh-huh. <sighs> Boy, that's tough. I mean, and, and this, this harkens back to my question about like what game are we running here, and what you know specifically like is it like overall game mastering, or is it like specific games? Because I, I, I can see where Tilly would be a phenomenal game master for very specific types of games. Uh, like especially mm-hmm. really, really um, RP intensive, um, not so much cerebral, but uh, just like very um, emotion driven, um, deep introspective kind of games to some extent. Like, I mean, she's, she's fun and she has her moments of fun, but like if you wanted to run a fun, lighthearted 
um, like Paranoia or uh, or Ghostbusters or something. Um, I don't know that Tilly like because like, like Tilly brings so much um, gravitas to uh, to everything she does, right? And I think if the players just wanted to cut loose and have fun one night, I think I think they would lean toward Jed Zia more than Tilly. But and I don't know. If, I mean, it's, they're not bad. Neither of them is a bad choice, obviously. No, but like, no. If we're looking for like the broadest possible game master, um, I don't know that Tilly has enough of the like the goofy fun side, or at least that we haven't seen yet. Um, where where Jed has got got the serious stuff as well as the the just the the fun of living life side of things. That's okay. tough. You've convinced me. That's a tough it's call. It's tough. Let's move Jadzia forward. Okay, so for our next head-to-head, we have Data mm-hmm. from the next generation against Jet Reno coming up. <clears throat> you know, I, I I love both these characters, but Reno would would just eat Data up, and uh, I it, think it, so. Yeah, I mean, there's the contest here. Uh, I mean, Data, great character. Um, but you know, I, I think Data would be like he would be the the ultimate GM, right? Because he would draw on the experience of of every GM ever living, right? So he would have like every you think of every single game master who's ever lived that's in his database, and so he would be a, a conglomeration of every game master, which you know has it has its advantages certainly because he could do literally anything. Um, but I, I think he's still I mean he's still not human, right? And he still struggles with some of those. Yeah human things and i think if he had a creative enough group of players they could probably throw him for a loop where he would he would be learning as he as he went so like over a period of time i think he'd be an even better game master um but like kind of just kicking it out you know starting it off i think reno again because she's so unflappable and is um capable of outdoing everybody that she interacts with um i think i think i mean this is like a you know this is like a f1 Ferrari versus a Volkswagen Beetle here. I mean, this is. I think Reno <laughs> Reno just blows past him here. Um, honestly, All right. in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. I don't know what you think. I, I know you're you're yeah. you're pre pre inclined to Reno anyway, but uh, um, I am. Yeah. My my thought. The reason that I would also go Reno here is because uh, it's because of that connection that a game mm-hmm. master wants to understand the emotions and what's driving players and to evoke an emotion from their players by playing something emotional in their NPCs. And mm-hmm. that might be difficult for Data. <laughs> he does get his emotion chipped later. Yeah. But he would still, I think he would have more of a challenge, whereas Reno would be just so insightful. She'd right. in your head. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Jet Reno moves forward. All so right. next up. Hoshi Sato from mm. uh, from Enterprise and Nyota Uhura from the original series. Wow, the the the, the battle of the communications officers, the the, the interpreters. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and you know Sato again, I mean, this is the challenge with all the Enterprise characters is that we just didn't get enough time with them, which is a huge shame because I think that I think Enterprise by and large is the is the is the one Star Trek setting that has the most potential for cool RP stuff to happen because the the universe is just wide open. Um, mm-hmm. But but Sato, eh, man, I don't know because I I wanted to see more of her character and and they just didn't give it to us. And what we got wasn't, um, in my opinion, enough to really like you know feel good about it. 
Um, creative, certainly. Lots of languages, yeah, of course. Uh, people, person. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not that I don't know Enterprise, but uh, I know you, her, I just had more of a longevity of character to, to work with. And, um, I mean, I would just lean toward you, her, just because I think she's a more well-rounded character. But as far as whether they would be effective game masters, that's hard to say. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I would just have to look at the two characters and say, you know, what's what are they bringing to the table respect, respectively? And I think Yuhura just has a broader skill set, that, or, or that we, we see her with a broader skill set than, than Sato. And of course, I, I could be wrong. I, I haven't watched Enterprise more than a couple times a piece, uh, so I may be a little, a little shaky on it. Um, so I'm sure the fans out there will give their opinions here, but I, I would I would lean toward you her on here, if only because I know the character better than than Sato. But part of that's because we just, we've had you know 55 years with Uhura as opposed to you know you know uh, much less time with with, a, with you know, we had four years we had, we had four seasons with uh, with Sato and we've had a lot more of that with uh, Uhura. So uh, this is kind of a yeah. toss up, and I, I, I'm not being very. Uh, um, Convincing one way or the other. What are your your thoughts here? Um, yeah, it's it's definitely also sort of the the Mayweather problem, where Mm -hmm. it's it's that we just didn't get to see enough of her, like you said, and Mm -hmm. um, like I love Hoshi Sato as a character. I think that um, in the episodes where we got to see her. Uh, she was excellently acted. She was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but when we, when we think back to what we talked about with Uhura versus the doctor, um, just that confidence, I think that Nichelle Nichols, uh, sort of embodies into Uhura yeah. is, is what's gonna, is what's gonna tip it over for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and like what you were saying about Mayweather, I think I think uh, Hoshi Sato would be a fantastic player because she's she has such creative mm-hmm. solutions to problems, and and she can think her way through a lot of challenges. I think I would love to have her as a player in my game because I because I know as a game master I could throw really mm-hmm. interesting situations at her, and she would get really really creative really quickly. Yes, pulling out all the all the things that she knows and just being able to make it work. Um, but as a game master, I think I think it's just a different skill set, and I think Yuhura has got the stronger, um, broader um, skill set to bring it bring it to life. Makes sense to me. All right, Yuhura moves forward. Uh, last one in round two is Tom Paris of Voyager. Okay, and Hikaru Sulu. So Paris it's versus Sulu. <laughs> It's funny that all the pilots kind of got lumped into the uh, into yeah the they did set of uh, set of brackets here. Um, gosh, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, it's it's tough for me. I I have I love Tom Paris because for me, Voyager was my show. Okay? Uh-huh. My parents, huge Trek fans. Um, so it was always kind of around and I'd seen a bit of the next generation, but mm-hmm. Voyager was the one that I watched because I got to choose what I could watch. Mm-hmm. And so I have a love of those characters and I love Tom's journey 
as he changes over the over the show. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's just got that swagger that makes for a fun like guy in a scene at a party at a game table. Mm-hmm. And he's also, you know, he's intelligent and creative. Uh I think that he brings a lot of the same things that Sulu does, and I'm just more familiar with him. Hmm. So, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, you know, just listening to you, I think I think I agree that that Tom Paris, especially because everything you said, plus he's got just a little bit of an edge to him, right? Because like when we first see him, mm-hmm. he's in a, he's in a Federation penal colony, right? So like clearly he's got yeah. that kind of like I don't want to say he's got a dark side, but like in as much as anybody in Starfleet can have a dark side, he's got a little bit of a dark <laughs> side. Um, but he grew. Like I mean, I, I know that uh, character development on Voyager was challenging to some extent because of just the way the, the show was structured, and uh, you know, you know, unless you were certain characters, there was you know, character development was pretty dear. But I think of all of them, Tom, Tom and Bellana grew quite a bit over the course of that, uh, yes. that series. And um, I, so I think, as far as like being a well-rounded character, I think I think Tom Paris is a more well-rounded character than Sulu. By virtue of the fact that, that that Paris got so many more life experiences, you know, over the course of of, of Voyager, um, and I think he would be able to bring all those different life experiences to play in being a game master. Um, and I think there's mm-hmm. just um, a more diversity of, of life experiences than than Sulu. That at least that we saw from Sulu, um, you know, being a uh, I, yeah, Paris and Bellana got got married, and I, I think they got pregnant, didn't, didn't they, right at the end? Yeah, uh, he, he was he was a father or an impending father or whatever. So um, it's just a, you know just different experiences to draw on, and like you said, you know he's fun. Uh, he and he and Kim had a great friendship, and they got to do all the he different stuff. People on laugh. Holiday. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think um, hard hard to remember Sulu making a lot of people laugh. Although he was a very great very good character, <laughs> but yeah. I, think, I think Sulu was a little bit more. A little more, like he was, he could, he could be unconventional, but he was a little more straight laced, right? He was Starfleet to the core, and um, yeah, he. I, I don't think Sulu was really going to deviate too much from that, even though he did help steal the Enterprise from uh, from Space Dock with his friends. That you know that that aside, because that was you know very different circumstances. Um, I think overall, I think Tom Paris is is probably the stronger choice here. I think I think you've you're you've you've. Uh, and not that I was strongly inclined one way or the other, but I think um, I agree with everything you said about Paris, and I think he's he's got the the skill set to to make it work. Hmm. Okay. By the way, have you seen or have you listened to the podcast, uh, the Delta Flyers? Uh, no, I'm not. That's that's a uh, that's a uh, um, Robert Duncan McNeil and uh, Garrett uh, Garrett Wang, right? Yeah. So they uh, they're revisiting each episode of Voyager and uh, oh, no. my wife and I, yeah, I, I need to put that. I need to write that down. Is, is Delta flyers. Yeah. The Delta flyers. It's, it's good. It got us watching Voyager again. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, I'm due for a Voyager rewatch here pretty soon. So I should, I should put that on while I'm doing it and just get the, get the yeah. double effect. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we're up into what's basically the semifinals. Oh, yeah. this is, this is going to get painful. Whew. <laughs> okay, Jadzia Dax going up against Jet Reno. Oh man, that now that is a oh. scene that I would 
love the writers to write and just have those two characters go back. <laughs> oh, man. I don't okay. know. Talk, talking campaigns and one shots again. I feel like in this situation, I would be much more interested in a Jet Reno one shot and much more interested in a Dax campaign. Mm-hmm. Like I'd be like, like Jet Reno is the type of GM I want to play one of her games once a, once a year. Uh huh. I must. But Jet Zia, I could play every week. Like mm-hmm. her campaigns, I think would keep you coming back every week. Jet's ones, you might need a bit of a break. I feel like she's got, <laughs> she's got no, <laughs> she's got no down. <laughs> right, right. It, it would be constant one-liners and constant in your face and con- just never ending. And, and there's no, yeah, like yeah. you said, there's no down. There's no, there's no off switch. It's just that's her forever. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whereas Dax so has level fun. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so much fun, and then you'd just be so tired. Yeah. Yeah, I like your analogy. I think I think if I were like a game company, uh, I mean, I mean, I work for a game company, but if I were a game company, and like if if, if in person conventions were still a thing, um, Reno would be the person I'd be like paying a couple hundred dollars to run my game at the convention. Like, like, please, yeah. how many how many sessions are you willing to run? How much can I pay you for that? And just and just pack her table full of players to get them playing my game because it would be an unforgettable experience uh, that fortunately the players could walk away from and go. Woo, I'm exhausted. I bought your game, but now I'm exhausted and now I need a break. Um, whereas if uh, if I was going back home, right, and I wanted to play my my you know six month long campaign, it would be Dax I'd be going home to to uh, to to just you know enjoy the uh, the diversity of uh, session after session after session and know that there were levels to it and that I could get a break every now and then from high intensity to to more introspective character pieces or something as opposed to Reno. So yeah, I, I think I agree with you, but now I guess the question is like, how do we rate this? Right. Are we rating mm-hmm. the, the one shot GM who's amazing or are we, are we you know, going for the, the long-term GM who could run anything and, uh, and, and, and sustain it for a long period of time. And uh, I think, I think Dax could still run a great one shot. It wouldn't be yeah. necessarily as memorable as jets. Mm-hmm. But I think it would still be good, so I think the Dax gets it. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. And uh, you know, you know, like where you said Voyager was your was your Star Trek, uh, DS Nine was my Star Trek, and I, I, I think, uh, um, not to not to be the Homer, but since Jazzy is the the one remaining DS Niner here on the list, <laughs> I got <laughs> I, I, I lean on her just a little bit more than uh, than uh, than Reno. I, I love Reno though. I I, I totally play her yes, games. I know. So good, yeah, absolutely agreed. As a player, I would I would cheat on Dax by going to a Reno game for a couple couple sessions, and then <laughs> I'd go back to Dax and say, "Well, that was fun, but yeah. boy, nice to be back." <laughs> yeah, I'm so sorry. I just can't make Saturday. I double booked. <laughs> yep. Okay, Jadzia is going into the finals. Okay, oh so God. then our uh, semifinals are Uhura versus Paris. So, you know, at first I thought it was going to be really hard, but, but just having talked through it, um, again, I think I've got to lean toward Paris and just by, by virtue of the, the broader life experiences that he gets over the course of seven seasons, plus the edge from the very beginning that he was in a penal colony. And I, I don't remember, and I should remember, but I don't remember exactly the circumstances that got him there in the first place. But um, you heard he went. 
He went on one mission with the Maquis and was caught okay. immediately. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, but like, other than other than helping everybody steal the Enterprise, I don't really see your her ever really having like gone off gone off script and and you know done something really really different. Whereas I think Tom has the capability of doing that and, and being so good natured and so charming that you would forgive him for it, right? <laughs> you yeah. you would, you know slap him on the wrist and he'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Nod in a wink, and and you'd move on to the next thing. So I think, um, just because of that, um, I think I think his players would forgive him an awful lot if he did something a little heinous, and like maybe maybe some campaign would end with a total party kill, and he'd be like, well, you know, I didn't really yeah. intend that to happen, even if he kind of did. Um, but then you'd be like, oh well, okay, <laughs> fun. What, what are you going to run next? And we'll be there for it, you know. Um, yeah. So with all of that in mind, I think I, I would lean toward Paris being the 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 stronger choice here. Mm-hmm. My what only counterpoint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. My my only counterpoint is that I think Paris would be the one who has a challenge finishing a campaign. I feel like he would be the guy who kind of gets bored, mm. and he might be like, you know, we need to run something else because this one's not doing it for me anymore. Uh huh. Interesting. I think Uhura would be able to stick through, but does that does that disqualify? Uh, Paris, because a lot of players will get bored of a campaign too. Uh-huh. So, just being able to finish a campaign doesn't necessarily make it the best table, right? Right. And, and I mean, I, I know I'm not alone to say that I've run, I, I've started plenty of campaigns in, in any number of different uh, game systems, and a lot of them just kind of stop. Right? They don't actually end exactly. Like stop because people get bored. I get bored. Uh, life circumstances change. Uh, you know the the leveling leveling gets too intense, or the math gets messed up, or whatever, uh, whatever system you're running. Um, so yeah, it, it's a fair point. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Uh, that's that's a tough call. Um, I think you're right that I think Uhura could probably bring bring things to a close more effectively. But but does that does that? I mean, you know. Would would Paris still make it fun for as long as it lasted? Yes, and then you switch off to something else. So I think from for just the fun quotient uh, itself, I think uh, I would lean to, toward Paris again. Um, but I, I do I do think right. your point is is fair. Okay, well let's move Tom forward. Wow, we get to our final. How exciting! Yeah, this is honestly not where I expected to be. Um, I wasn't sure who was going to be in the final, but I did not see Tom Paris getting this deep. That was great. Yeah. Interesting. Part part of it is the randomness of seeds. So um, the way that we decided it was uh, we ended up getting 25 responses. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jadzia got 20 votes, which is why she was uh, first seed. Wow. Yeah. And... um, so really, really high up there. Whereas Tom, uh, I think he got 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And there was a big group of 10s. Like there was a lot of people in there with 10s. Uh-huh. So. Interesting. Yeah. But uh, Hoshi, interestingly enough, got 17 votes. Wow, that's interesting. I, I'd love to hear, was, was there any commentary about this? Or was it just straight up voting? Just straight up voting. Interesting. Okay. Well, that that might have to be a topic for 
a, a forum discussion or something. So, some whoever voted on this thing, you got to talk about it. Like, why, why, why yeah. do you people where you voted them? But I mean, that's for another day, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. What I should do, I should also just post the uh, the bracket on Twitter, and people can oh, yeah. fill them in on their own and and tell us what we did wrong. Yeah, yeah. Compare 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 brackets for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So Jadzia Dax against Tom Paris. Oh man. I want to give it thought. Yeah, I'm also, I, I want to. I want to take a moment to just think about everything we've talked about, all these characters, and in particular these two. Yeah. I mean, my gut is that we've got to go with Jadzia, because, like you said, when you get later into Deep Space Nine, she gets to really, like, open up as a character and. Everything we've said about Tom, she's got. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got that extra edge. Um, she's Starfleet, but she wasn't always Starfleet. Starfleet, in her previous, uh, with her previous hosts. What yeah. do you think? Um. Yeah, you know, I I have to agree with you. I think I think Tom Paris just you know in, in listening to you and just thinking about like he is he he has lived a great life, right? He he has very interesting things have happened to him across his lifetime, and to where we see him at the end of Voyager, he's he's in a, a very different place than he was at the beginning, and you can see a clear progression. Um, and then when you look at Dax, like she's done that nine times, right? With yeah. nine wildly different people, so like she's 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 Paris, but times nine because like she's she's been on both sides of it, right, or every side of it, really. I mean, she's been a man, she's been a woman, mm-hmm. you know, this, that, and everything, and she's had so many different careers across nine incredible lifetimes. <laughs> plus the, yeah. the, the dark, plus the dark side that she tried to hide for a while, and then she let you know, then she came to grips with it, and has that darker side to kind of draw on if she needs to. I mean, actually, Ezri draws on it, but Jadzia uh, could have. Um, it's there, um, so you know. So there's there's that 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 just that wealth of knowledge and experience that you know a good GM has all that already, right? Because you, you can draw on so many different stories and genres and and topics and things and just fold all that into your game to to really surprise and delight your players, right? I mean, ideally, your game master is able to do a lot of things well, um, or can do the research and and pull it in. So that the players are like, oh, wow, what, what's happening this week? Cool, how did you do this? And the Game Master just kind of like mm-hmm. sits back and goes, oh, yeah, you're never going to see how much work is behind me, but uh, I'm just bringing this great game experience to you. Um, and then, you know, tied into that comment you were making earlier about how Paris is the one that's going to have a lot of fun, but, may, but may, not, may not be able to finish every campaign. I, I, think, I think Dax could, like, like she, I think she's self-aware enough to know she, she could run a game and be like, this game is going to take me 10 sessions to finish. And and you may not realize it until you're into it. And you're like, Oh gosh, that just, that, we're done. How did that happen? You brought that yeah. to such a great conclusion. You just wrapped it, it up. So quickly. good. Yeah. It was so yeah. good, you know, and, but it's over and it's done. And, and like, you hate for it to be done, but then you like, it, it's like when you write a story and it's like, sometimes you write past the ending and then in editing, you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I, I ended this story 10, 10 pages ago and you cut all that stuff out. But I think, I think Dax is self-aware enough that she would know like, how long is this campaign going to take and how am I going to end it? Like she, she can think far enough ahead to be like, I know how this is going to end. 
and I have the stamina uh, to get to the end. But I also have the 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 joy and the elan and the and the um, ability to surprise my players that I can keep them engaged until the end as well, right? So I think I think she could bring mm-hmm. whole, like any game that she ran, she could bring it to a conclusion um, and, and you know keep the players engaged session after session. Um, and I think for that, I think I would I would lean toward Dax being just the more complete, you know, game master than Paris. I mean, I I, I love to play in a Paris game, um, but yeah. uh, I, I, again, you know, I, I made the <laughs> I made the illusion that I'd always come home to Jadzia, you know, come come home to Jadzia. <laughs> I, I might I might go play a, a Jet Reno game a couple times if she was in town, and then, but I'd always be going back to the home game because um, yeah. it's. Uh, um, I mean, not to sound like she's the mother figure, but in a way she was kind of a mother figure to some extent. Um, even though she was also like the potential uh, love interest for, for um, Bashir. And then, yeah. uh, you know, you know, so Bashir crushed on her and then Worf crushed on her. And, and then that whole thing happened. Um, but I think Dax was like so many different things to so many different people that, that she would have, she, she's, she's the kind of game master that would have a different connection with every player and and she would mm. never like if you were a player in her game, you would never feel like you were kind of like secondary, right? Like everybody would feel like they had a spotlight. Yeah. And she would she she would be good enough that I think that she would find a way to keep everybody involved and like give everybody that their moment to shine. Uh, where I think I mean Tom could do that, but I think um, I think Tom just would play favorites. Yeah, you think Tom so? Would definitely, I think he would play favorites. I think that he would invite everybody to the table, but he would accidentally he would he would give more spotlight to mm. whoever he's paying attention to at that time. Like uh-huh. if Kess was playing, <laughs> it would just be Tom uh-huh. and Kess playing, and then yep. nobody else would be there. Right. Got it. No, I think that's that's a fair that's a fair that's a fair assessment. And we certainly, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure we've seen our share of. Uh, Game Master favorites, where uh, it was always that one, that one, that one or two players that was like, "Oh, I'm going to focus on you," and it's like everybody else is kind of like there, <laughs> there Your to play. Extra story, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. my only, my only thought that could have put uh, Tom back in the running was that was just the word flair. Like, just mm-hmm. he would have some really, really amazing set pieces or single scenes, mm-hmm. but. I don't think that that edges him ahead of the points you made about how Jedzia is going to um, share the spotlight and she's going to make things, you know, enjoyable and, and come to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. I I think we're in agreement. Wow. Jedzia. (sighs) Congratulations, Jedzia Dax. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah. That's quite. Uh, that was an awesome bracket. That was cool. So yeah, it was fun. She, she was the number one seed, and she she survived it all the way through to the to the end. Some, she made some it. Fierce competition here, but yeah, this is this this was this was fun. I, I, and I I'm really anxious. I I would love to hear what other people's brackets were. If, if there's any way right? that we share them or or like if they could do them before they listen to us go on about it, mm. and just so we, we could compare. But. Uh, um, you know, I, I guess this is the point where we emphasize that this is just our opinion. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, right? exactly. This we're is just us. We're, but we're uh, yeah, yeah, you know, go to go to Twitter or go to social media or something, and let's have a debate about it. Let's talk about it, and uh, 
and uh, you know, can convince me, convince me that the doctor's the best option, right? Or or that data is the best. <laughs> like, prove me wrong. Like, I, you know, I, I haven't played every game out there, so like maybe there's a yep. maybe there's a game system out there that data would just kill it, and uh, and you wouldn't be able to not go to his game. It'd be just so amazing. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, Jim, this has been so much fun. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, anytime, man. This was great. I had so much fun. This is the first time I've ever done something kind of like outside of just talking about the game. Like this bracket was really cool. Uh, <laughs> I'd love to see more 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 folks do just random cool stuff like this because uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, no, I just I, I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to, to watch your show and to watch you and your players do cool stuff, and then just to have an opportunity to talk to you about the game. And uh, about you know what I'm doing and what Star Trek is doing. So uh, um, thanks so much for uh, for talking with me, and you know thanks for going over a little little longer to uh, to get our way through the bracket here. Anything else that you want to um, promote? Uh, where should people find you on Twitter and the various interwebs? Sure. Um, I mean, the best place right now for me, I, I've been gravitating toward Twitter more and more lately. Uh, it's uh, at scribe underscore Inetti. Uh, but if you don't find me there, uh, just go to the Modifius uh, Twitter account. Um, I'm, I'm I'm connected there. Uh, hashtag Star Trek Adventures. You'll find me pretty easily. I think I'm like the top one or two people on the hashtag, so I'm not hard to find. Um, I'm on the subreddit group a lot. I'm on some uh, Star Trek Adventures Facebook groups. Uh, of course, Modifius's Modifius's official forums. Um, I post there pretty frequently. I, I'm on a few different discords, although uh, I think I'm the wrong I'm the wrong generation to really. Big, be big into Discord. I, I like it, but I don't. I'm not quite there yet. I don't think it's quite my fit, but that's okay. It's you know it's something different for everybody. Um, so those are all the main places. I mean, if you if you Google Star Trek Adventures, you're going to find me eventually because I'm I'm all over the place um, working on it. As far as plugging, um, like the games out there, I'm not going to bore you with a plug other than say go to Modifius.net. All the products are on Modifius's web store. Uh, Drive Through RPG he sells all the digital stuff. Um, uh, we got the uh, the tricorder set coming out pretty soon. That's the uh, love letter to the original series. It's a uh, it's a top down revision of the core rulebook into a uh, original series aesthetic, plus a three part campaign, plus character sheets, plus dice, uh, all on a handy dandy um, original series tricorder box, which looks really cool. Um, so check that out, especially if you're an original series fan, because uh, this is our our big product for uh, TOS fans. So I hope you guys check that out. Of course, we got the Shackleton book coming up here pretty soon, which I hope everybody loves. And uh, I guess the only other thing I'd want to say about the Shackleton book that I didn't say about it earlier is that it was specifically, I, I did everything I could to design it in such a way that if you're coming into the game from either the Starfleet core rule book, the Klingon core rule book, or the original series tricorder set, like no, no matter what your entry point is into the game, you can funnel it right into the Shackleton expanse because the living campaign uh, starts in the original series and continues into the next gen era, but the the campaign was written and I tweaked it in such a way that you could adapt it to any era of play. So, like if you just want to do original series, fine, just do it all in original series. It's okay, you can you can make it work. Or if you want to do it all next gen or whatever. So no matter what entry you're taking into the game, um, it'll it all funnels into the uh, Shackleton Expanse one way or the other. So uh, other than that, again, save your latinum because we have a lot of cool products coming up that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, especially this year, and then of course next year, and then like the next, uh, we've already got stuff on the on the books for uh, twenty three, and then hopefully twenty four as far as like new licenses because like we we're we're look, keeping an eye on uh, lower decks and Prodigy and Strange New Worlds and whatever new stuff 
CBS, Viacom CBS comes up with. So we're hoping to add more licenses too. You know, more licenses soon. Nothing, no, no news yet. To, all, all to be determined, of course. But uh, there is yeah. plenty of runway ahead. Star Trek Adventures is not going anywhere. Uh, so um, enjoy the game, and uh, I'm enjoying hearing everybody enjoying the game. So just uh, thank you so much to the fans because uh, ultimately it's all about the fans. If if you weren't playing the game and buying the game and enjoying the game, we I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> Other than as another fan, right? Just uh, going off about this stuff. So thank you to the fans because this is a great, great fan base, and uh, I am I'm grateful to be um, supporting you all as much as I can. So thank you. I mean, I can't follow that. That was amazing. So <laughs> once again, thank you for coming and uh, good night listeners. Make sure to follow uh, scribe underscore Inetti on Twitter, which I'll put in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Massive Damage Adventures. We do a different one shot every month and I hope you check out our next one. Please rate and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at SkyhammerK and on Instagram at SkyhammerPress.